Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo, Chapter 54 Eager to arrive at the appointed meeting place, and to learn by what fortunate means my Savior had been enabled to make his appearance at so opportune a moment, I prepared to leave this frightful cavern. However, new dangers were reserved for me. The instant I prepared to enter the subterranean passage, an unexpected obstacle presented itself in my path. It was Habibra. The revengeful Obi had not in reality followed the Negroes, as I had believed. He had concealed himself behind a rocky projection of the cave, waiting for a propitious moment for his vengeance. This moment had come. The dwarf laughed bitterly as he showed himself. I was alone, disarmed. A dagger, the same that he was in the habit of using for a crucifix, shone in his right hand. At the sight of it, I recoiled involuntarily. Ha-ha! Cursed one! Did you think to escape me, then? But the fool is less of a fool than you. I have you, and this time there shall be no delay. Your friend Bugjargal shall not wait for you long. You shall soon be at the meeting place in the valley, but it will be the wave of the cataract that shall bear you there. As he spoke, he dashed at me with uplifted weapon. "'Monster!' cried I, retreating to the platform. "'Just now you were nothing but an executioner. "'Now you are a murderer.' "'I am an avenger,' returned he, grinding his teeth. "'At this instant I was on the edge of the precipice. "'He endeavored to hurl me over with a blow of his dagger. "'I avoided it. "'His foot slipped on the treacherous moss which covered the rocks. "'He rolled into the slope, polished and rounded by the constant flow of water.' A thousand devils, he roared. He had fallen into the abyss. I have already mentioned that the roots of the old tree projected through the crevices of the rocks. A little below the edge of the precipice, his striped petticoat caught in them. He grasped at them as a last hope of safety and clung to them with extraordinary energy. His pointed bonnet fell from his head. To maintain his position, he had to let go of his dagger and the dagger of the assassin and the bonnet of the fool disappeared together in the depths of the abyss. Habibra, suspended over the terrible gulf, strove vainly to regain the platform, but his short arms could not reach the rocky edge, and he broke his nails in useless efforts to obtain a hold on the muddy surface of the rocks which sloped down into the terrible abyss. He howled with rage. The slightest push on my part would have been sufficient to hurl him to destruction, but it would have been an act of cowardice, and I did not think of it for a moment. This moderation surprised him. Thanking heaven for the mercies it had sent me, I determined to abandon him to his fate, and was about to leave the subterranean chamber when suddenly I heard the dwarf, in a voice broken with fear, and which appeared to come from the depths of the abyss— Master, cried he, master, do not go, for pity's sake. In the name of the bon Dieu, do not leave me to die guilty and penitent, a human creature, that it is in your power to save. Alas, my strength is failing me. The roots bend and slip through my fingers. The weight of my body drags me down. I must let go, or my arms will break. Alas, master, the fearful gulf boils beneath me. 
Have you no pity for the poor fool? He has been very guilty. But prove that the white men are better than the mulattoes, the masters, better than the slaves. I approached the brink of the precipice, and the feeble light that broke through the aperture in the roof showed me, on the repulsive features of the dwarf, an expression I had never seen there before, that of prayer and supplication. Signor Leopold, continued he, encouraged by the movement of pity I showed, can you see a fellow creature in so terrible a position of peril without stretching out a hand to save him? Alas, give me your hand, master. With very slight aid you can save me. That which is everything for me is very little to you. I only ask for a little help. Help me then, and my gratitude shall erase my crimes. I interrupted him. Unhappy wretch, do not recall them to my memory. It is because I repent of them that I do so, master. Oh, continued he, be more generous than I. Oh, heavens, my hand relaxes. I fall. A hand, your hand. In the name of the mother who bore you, give me your hand. I cannot describe the tone of agony in which he pleaded for help. I forgot all. It was no longer an enemy, a traitor, an assassin. It was but an unhappy fellow creature whom a slight exertion upon my part could rescue from a frightful death. He implored me so pitifully. Words and reproaches would have been fruitless and ridiculous. The necessity for help was urgent. I stooped, knelt down on the bank of the precipice, and with one hand grasping the trunk of the tree, I extended him the other, on which Habibra clung. As soon as it was within his reach, he grasped it with both his hands and hung on to it with all his strength. Far from attempting to aid me in my efforts to draw him up, I felt that he was exerting all his powers to draw me down with him into the abyss. If it had not been for the assistance afforded to me by the trunk of the tree, I must infallibly have been dragged over by the violent and unexpected jerk that the wretched man gave me. "'Villain!' cried I. "'What are you doing?' "'Avenging myself!' answered he, with a peal of devilish laughter. "'Aha! Fool! Have I got you in my clutches once more? You have placed yourself again in my power, and I hold you tight. You were saved. I was lost.' and yet you of your own accord place your head between the jaws of the alligator, because it sighed after having roared. You will console me, since my death is vengeance. You are caught in the trap, amigo, and I shall take a companion with me to feed the fishes of the lake. Ah, traitor, cried I, struggling with all my strength. Is it thus that you serve me when I was trying to save you from peril? "'Yes,' replied he. "'I know that we could have saved ourselves together, "'but I would rather that you should perish with me. "'I prefer your death rather than my life. "'Come down!' "'At this moment his brown muscular hands "'grasped mine with unexpected strength. "'His eyes blazed, his mouth foamed. "'His strength, the loss of which he had before "'so piteously bewailed, had returned to him.' "'increased a thousandfold by the hope of revenge. "'His feet were planted like two perpendicular levers "'on a ledge of rocks. 
and he struggled like a tiger against the root, which, entangled in his clothes, supported him in spite of himself. For he was endeavoring with all his might to shake himself free, so as to bring all his weight to bear on me, and to drag me more quickly. He stopped several times in his rage to bite me, whilst his hideous features were rendered more terrible by their expression of satanic frenzy. One might say the demon of the cave was seeking to drag down a victim to his abode of gloom and darkness. One of my knees was fortunately planted in a groove of the rock. My arm was wrapped round a tree which held me, and I strove against the efforts of the dwarf with all the strength that the feeling of self-preservation could give me at such a moment. Every now and then I drew a long breath and shouted with all my strength, Bugjargal! But the roar of the cascade and the distance that he must be off gave me but faint hopes of my voice reaching him. Meanwhile, the dwarf, who had not anticipated so vigorous a resistance on my part, redoubled his efforts. I began to grow weak, though, in reality, the struggle had not taken so long as the narration of it. A violent pain paralyzed my arm. My sight grew dim. Bright sparks flashed before my eyes. A buzzing sound filled my ears. I heard the creaking of the root as it bent, the laugh of the monster, and it seemed to me that the abyss rose, eager to engulf me. Before abandoning all hope, I made a last effort. Collecting my exhausted forces, I once again shouted, Bugjargal! A loud bark replied to me. I recognized Rask. I glanced upwards. Bugjargal and his dog were at the edge of the crevice. I do not know whether he had heard my voice or whether some apprehension had made him turn. He saw my danger. Hold on, cried he. Habibra, fearing that I might yet be saved, foamed with rage, and cried, "'Come down! Then come down!' and renewed the attack with almost supernatural vigor. At this moment, my weakened arm lost its hold of the tree. All seemed over with me, when I felt myself seized from behind. It was Rask. At a sign from his master, he had leaped down on the platform and seized me by the skirts of my uniform with his powerful teeth." this unlooked-for aid saved me. Habibra had exhausted all his strength in a last convulsive effort. I put forth all mine to withdraw my hand. His cramped and swollen fingers at last let go of me. The root, so long bent, broke under his weight, and whilst Rass gave me a violent pull from behind, the wretched dwarf disappeared in the foam of the cascade, "'hurling a curse at me which was swallowed up with him in the whirl of the waters. "'Such was the terrible end of my uncle's fool.'